Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. I trust everybody is recuperating from their candy-induced diabetic Halloween stupor. This week we're going to be releasing a best of episode, primarily because the release schedule for November and maybe a little bit of December is going to be kind of wonky. We've got family obligations going on and I've got a surgery coming up at the end of the month here. Don't worry, it's nothing super crazy or anything like that. But with everything going on right now, I'm just not really sure where the state of things is going to be for a little bit. So just bear with us a little bit. But this week, I'm going to be releasing a best of episode. This is from way back in either beginning of the second year, mid second year of the show. It's episodes 41 and 42. Ben Radford had just released his book, Media Driven Panic and Hoaxes. I thought it was relevant to put this out there because right now with the election going on and things being so politically charged on social media and wherever, there is a huge disdain and mistrust for the media right now, depending on what side of the fence you're on or what tribe you're in, be it Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, whatever alphabet news organization puts stuff out there. People just distrust everything right now. So this show is about media-driven panic and hoaxes, and Ben had just came out with his book on it. Fear not, this is not a political episode. This deals primarily with major media events and how people latched onto them and things just kind of go crazy and get out of control. This is about like the original War of the Worlds broadcast, where it was reported that people all of the United States were flipping out when it really wasn't that bad. Or recently, you had round one of the incredible clown panic, you know, and then it reared its ugly face painted head again a few years ago when we had the return of the clown panic. And even this year, you saw different cities and counties throughout the U.S. banning people wearing clown makeup or clown costumes on Halloween, which I guess some of these things were later revoked or what have you. But I've always found it kind of interesting about how when news cycles go through, how people latch on to certain things and then it just gets into high gear and things go crazy. So that's what this show is about. I've gone in, cleaned it up as I always do with these old episodes, cleaned it up, re-edited it, took a bunch of stuff out, moved some stuff around to make sure that it flows a little bit better as one continuous show. And I do have to apologize a little bit because at the time we were really into dubstep and uh, I <laughs> not so much anymore. But uh, anyways, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, if you're an old school listener, yes, you've probably heard this. It's been a while. If you're a new listener, this is one of those old episodes that was lost to the ether when we transferred from the old server to the new server, and I had to go out and dig it up and put it back up there. Again, hopefully everybody enjoys it. And this is Rojan. Talk to you again soon. Peace out from Detroit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. The rest strewn over the battle area from Grover's Mill to Plainsboro, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster or burned to cinders by its heat ray. The monster is now in control of the middle section of New Jersey and has effectively cut the state through its center. Communication lines are down from Pennsylvania to the Atlantic Ocean. Railroad tracks are torn and service from New York to Philadelphia discontinued except routing some of the trains through Allerton and Phoenixville. Highways to the north, south, and west are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, the fugitives will have swelled Philadelphia, Camden, and Trenton. It is estimated to twice their normal population. 
Martial law prevails throughout New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. At this time, we take you to Washington for a special broadcast on the national emergency. As far back as educated men have recorded their history, veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. everybody and welcome back to project archivist and uh myself and lobo are quite recovering from colds <laughs> no we're working on it that's for sure actually it's uh i can't it sucks man it, it just so knocks me over but yeah you came through and you recorded the spark which uh is getting some good reviews yeah i was surprised i actually uh i uh i sent a text message to um our sister ann Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I pretty much said to her, I hope I didn't uh, disgrace the First Nation by uh, by any of my pronunciation of of the of the um, tribes. And she came back saying I did a beautiful job. And uh, she was actually she actually uh, told me that um, when they were listening to it, her and Heather, that they had heard a coyote where they are and they hadn't heard a coyote call ever since huh. they've been there. So wow. she was like, it was really cool because I guess when she was growing up, they. Um, they told her, not her, her uh, immediate family, but some of her cousins told stories about the Wendigo. Yeah, I thought it was a real solid piece. I thought, you know, you covered everything solid from beginning to end. It was your first shot at it. So, I mean, I was there. I was pretty much just twiddling knobs and pressing the record button. But nah, you, to give yourself a little more credit than that, dude, I'm the only podcaster out there that's got a producer and a director. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but you'll learn what you're doing as time goes sure. on. I mean, you already learned from doing just that little piece right there. I'm sure the ones you do in the future even – you see, your thing is you're not a recording guy, whereas I am. But, yeah. you know, you know how to get information to arrange it. That was just your first time doing that. Right, right. Um, what people didn't hear is me off off microphone hacking my brains out. <laughs> they um, catch a little tiny bit at the end. Yeah. But it actually sounds like you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, was, I was in such rough shape that week, and I really yeah. wanted to get something out to everybody. And me and you had been kicking around doing that episode since that was one of the things we wanted to do before, since before the show got started. Right, right. I think that was one of the first topics we talked about. It was right up yep. there when we were talking about uh, getting Linda Godfrey on the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just uh, let's get the house cleaning going because we've got a really crazy episode. It's going to be a two part. I'm going to let you know up front. We, we've got uh, the interview we did tonight. It's such a great interview and it's so long that we have to put this into a two part show. But first, I got to thank um, I put a post up in Facebook and I wasn't entirely serious about it right now. I just put it up there and I put it into the uh, Project Archivist Facebook page. And what it has to deal with is we're not we're not real big on begging for money from people that listen to the show, but we have about to run the show costs me about 200 bucks a year bandwidth buys and we go through a huge amount of bandwidth. So what I was going to do is to help cover the cost of the show when in a little while from now, I was going to say, well, we've got probably at least 200 listeners. So I put up in Facebook, I said, if everybody could donate just $1 through your PayPal on our website, that would cover our expenses for the year. We're not looking to make any money or whatever, but I was kind of half serious about it. And a few of you guys called me out on it and you donated and some of you donated really well. 
And I got to thank all you guys. I got to thank Arnie. I got to thank Paige. I got to thank Aaron for donating to the show. Um, I know I'm going to miss people because I just kind of flew into this. Um, and so I didn't, if I didn't thank you this time, I will thank you in the future. I think Charlene donated to the show as well. But that was really cool of you guys. It's, it's great that you did that. I mean, really, when you think about it, I mean, we've put out at this point 42 episodes, 40 episodes, or we will have had put out 42 episodes. So just saying, hey, give us a buck. Uh, you yeah, know, right. <laughs> are we worth a dollar? Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, if you can't, that's cool, too. We're not expecting yeah. anybody you to know. donate. You know, it's just that would be great if you could just shoot us a buck if you can. But we're not going to I'm not really pushing that right now. But uh, also in other house cleaning, uh, we have been getting voicemails from you guys. It's funny. We stopped giving out the phone number and people start calling in. It's crazy. Mm. But nice, uh, huh? we got a phone call from Rodney. For whatever reason, Google voicemail is being weird and it's not letting me download them as an MP3. And normally I would put them in the show and play them. I remember the shows that I used to like listening to and I still do listen to. I used to get a kick out of it when they would read my emails or play my voicemails and stuff on the show. And, you know, hey, if people are going to send me mails, sure, you know, voicemails, I'd love to play them. But for whatever reason, Google is not letting me download them right now. I do hear them. I listen to all of them. I read all of the emails. And uh, Rodney sent us one, and he asked us if we have heard of a site called Anomalous. And ironically, yes, I did. I, I found out about that site right after I started doing the 13 Skulls Anomalous pieces, and I was like, great, you know. Right, right, right. So much for having an original name. But, yeah, I do enjoy that site. We do farm it from time to time for new stories. Um, Faye Girl sent us an email, so i got to send a shout-out to her. Yeah, thanks, Faye. And... Um, yeah, just the usual. Char sent us in some emails. You know, we, we hear from all you guys. We're accessible on Facebook, so a lot of you guys we talk to every day. But, yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> I just appreciate you guys being out there. I appreciate you guys listening to the show and keeping contact with us. And we've picked up a lot of new fans from other networks and shows. And yeah, we it's have. great to have you guys out there. It really yeah. is. We got our normal cast of characters that, you know, on a daily basis that are throwing stuff up for uh, interest. You know, we got uh, Manny. Yeah. And we got Brent. And, um, you know, every once in a while we'll get, uh, Seder from, um, transmissions from the bunker, throw stuff up. I mean, we get people from all over the place that just, they, they, they feed into the show. They feed into the, to the Facebook page. They help keep the, the, um, the population there happy. I mean, we, we, I, Manny coined the phrase that these, the, that the people out there are the PA inmates. And uh, I think the guys that are running the show are the ones that are the lunatics. But <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. You know, it's you know, we, so. we get a lot of we get a lot of input from the we we want to make the fans part of the show as much yeah, as possible. Absolutely. I mean, Clint's always throwing stuff up there. Yeah, all I mean, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, everybody that's part of. It. I mean, we have a, a fully functioning Facebook page with with fans that are truly interactive fans. And it's really cool. And we got some lurkers out there too, which is fine. And every once in a while, we got a lurker that will pop up every once in a while and just throw something on the Facebook page. And we're like, hey, what's up? Haven't heard from you in a while. Absolutely. So, you know, it's cool. But uh, just thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks. So I guess um, we have Mr. Ben Radford on the show tonight. He's a returning guest. Ben's always a great guy to have on the show. He's a riot. And um, yeah, this interview is. definitely doesn't disappoint. He's He's got a great sense of humor. He just released a book called The Martians Have Landed, a history of media-driven uh, panics and hoaxes. And uh, 
we only talk about it, a few of the things that are in the book, but it's basically as it sounds is about panics and hoaxes created by the media, uh, different urban legends and things like that. And I will tell you guys up front that we are going to have him back on the show again a little bit further down the road to discuss urban legends because um, the guy says so, so much useful information and everything. Again, me and Lobo are recovering from cold, so you may hear from time to time us hacking into the microphone. I tried to get to the microphone and turn it off as much as possible. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, I don't. I didn't hear you at all. I don't know if you guys heard me or not. But, anyways, so uh, let's roll with the interview. This will be a two-part show. Ben was very gracious with his time. He we had him on for quite a while. He was very forthcoming with information, mm-hmm. and the guy is hysterical. Awesome. So, uh, still one of my favorite guys. In true Project Archivist form, we give you guys information and the lulls to go with it. <laughs> Here we go. We've got returning guest, Mr. Ben Radford, who has come out with another fantastic book called The Martians Have Landed, which is uh, the follow-up. I think it's the follow-up to his Chupacabra book. You out there, Ben? I am indeed. And this is the follow-up to your Chupacabra book, correct? Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting. In terms of in terms of the subject matter, it's actually the follow-up to my very first book, uh, which I also co-authored with uh, Robert Bartholomew, mm-hmm. who's a sociologist in, in Australia. Um, so he, he and I co-authored my first book and sort of, you know, six books later <laughs> we co-authored this one. So chronologically, uh, it's, it's the, it's the, the book after my, my big Chupacabra book. Uh, but in, in a way it, it sort of, you know, takes me back to the beginning, uh, cause my first book was, uh, titled hoaxes, myths and manias, why we need critical thinking. And so it sort of touches back on some of those episodes about, uh, you know, mass hysterias and panics and how to analyze these things. And this one's called The Martians Have Landed, A History of Media-Driven Panics and Hoaxes. I read through it really quick, which is when I get a book that I really like, I, I read them really, really fast. The tension with my wife increases because I pretty much ignore everything that goes on in the house when I'm in that process. So I understand. Uh, I, I don't want to be responsible for any marital strife. So Well, fortunately, I'm done with it. But I read on Facebook <laughs> the that book you book of your wife. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I never mind. We'll, Go ahead. We'll leave that one hanging. <laughs> but I read on Facebook that people are starting to use this to teach college courses. Was that am I? Did I read that properly? Yes, in fact, um, it's, it's kind of cool. There's been several of my books that have been used in, in various capacities uh, in college and uh, university courses, primarily through for critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, I, I actually just literally got back uh, from the airport just a few minutes ago from uh, being in uh, in Anaheim, California, where I was giving a talk at Fullerton College. And uh, I was for a, a class out there, actually two different classes. And that was based on my book, uh, Media Mythmakers, uh, which is more on science literacy and media literacy. Uh, but several of my other books, including this one, um, different sections of it and chapters of it uh, have been used in other critical thinking courses. And so it's it's kind of gratifying because it's, you know, there's lots of people out there writing about, you know, weird things and this and that. Um, but to to have the, the academic and the scholar world, uh, teachers and whatnot, you know, sort of say, yes, this is, you know, this is scholarly enough that <laughs> this is credible enough that we're going to we're going to we're going to use it uh, is is uh, is nice. Let me go right into it. I'm. It's no secret that I am distrustful of, of media, CNN, Fox News, ABC, NBC, CNN, CCN. Mm-hmm. I don't really – I'm just not a guy that watches the news and really take – I take it with a heavy grain of salt. And I'm not a major conspiracy guy. I'm not one of these chemtrail people. But when I watch the news, I notice – I can spot agendas in the news depending mm-hmm. on which new organization is covering it. So when I read this, I could see things like that in there. 
there about how it's about ratings and trying to, you know, glamorize things or or just grab at whatever bits of information you can get, regardless of, you know, if they're true or not. I guess we'll start off at the very beginning of the book. The way you kick it off, you've got the initial starter of, of media hoaxes, which is the London riot hoax. So mm-hmm. talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. And, and again, that's sort of why we started the book with it was that, you know, when when people think of sort of massive hoaxes, certainly in in, in England, you know, you, you think to uh, or, or around the world. But certainly, you know, for example, you would think of the, the War of the Worlds hoax, you know, with uh, with Orson Welles. And the, yeah, we're going to go into that, that one next. <laughs> right. We, we, we could talk about that. But but really, there was one that that happened a um, little, little more than a decade earlier. And that was in 1926. And it was actually very similar to the War of the Worlds uh, story in many ways. There was radio play uh, that sort of talked about how uh, there were these m- massive riots in London. Uh, and, and people were talking just, you know, just very vivid descriptions. And there was actually a story that uh, one of the public officials was hung by the neck <laughs> and strung up. And, and people were like, oh, my God. And this is being presented as, as a straightforward news story. And it didn't have any disclaimers in it saying this is just a. a- well, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there was what you see in a lot of these cases is that there's there's a radio play and the people that are doing it. They do a little sort of wink, uh, sort of wink and nudge thing, where it's like you know, well, we, this is this isn't uh, you know, we, they'll they'll tell you that it's a play, but just sort of they'll, they'll sort of mention it in passing or they'll mention it once, <laughs> you know, it's like way yeah. early in, and then then people. By the way, later this on. is this is a dramatization, and here's the news. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> what did they say? I and don't that, know what the news that, is on. Be quiet. Right, careful. Yeah, this, this is this is what it is, and the reason that it it had uh, a lot of uh, play with people is that it began as basically a, a regular discussion about, you know, things in the news. We're going to talk about literature, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden they had, you know, bulletin, news bulletin, flash, news flash. This is what's happening. Riots in London. And suddenly, you know, because you had that that juxtaposition, that sort of breaking of the uh, of the theme, suddenly people are like, oh, my God, this is the real thing. Uh, and, you know, again, it was sort of you, you had people talking about uh, that London was burning and there were riots, people being killed and stabbed and and uh, Big Ben, uh, you know, the, the famous clock tower in London was was, you know, <laughs> up in flames. It was just you know, this, this whole riot story. And, you know, as with a lot of these hoaxes uh, and panics that we talk about in the book, you know, it's not that everybody who listened to it completely believed it. It's not that, it, you know, it didn't have that massive, you know, certitude influence, but certainly a lot of people did believe it. And a lot of people were panicking and um, and, and calling the police and saying, oh, my God, you know, is, you know, I have I have friends living in London. You know, what's what's going on there? And of course, you know, people in London, they're they're hearing this. They're like, well, you know, I, I see Big Ben from where I am. And nothing's going on. Um, but of course, you know, you also have to remember this is this is back in in 1926. So you didn't have instantaneous communication. You didn't have the internet, and so news traveled much more slowly. And so people, you know, you, you couldn't just tweet, "I'm okay." You know, it's a, it's a BS story. Yeah. Um, what do you mean we're all dying? I feel fine. I'm not aware have of some this. Some tea. <laughs> I say I'm not pleased about this, General. Um, but it's uh, yeah. Well, give me them crumpets. We'll be fine with this. Pip pip. Uh, but you know, you, you had this whole British thing going on, and so. Finally, eventually, uh, the the you know the broadcast stopped, and people realized that in fact you know that whole thing had been you know part of a larger story framework, and that you know it, that actually wasn't going on. 
but it, there was a big outcry, and people were people were just you know outraged that this had happened and this was a, a hoax and everything. And so uh, you know the, the police were called, and there was there was actually government inquiry. You know, should people be held responsible for this? At the end of the day, the broadcaster said, "Look, you know, if you if you look and if you listen very very closely, you know, at the very end we told you this has been a dramatization." But of course, you know, so it's one of those things again where you know was it an intentional hoax or was it a, was it a sort of you know a mistaken panic? Well, probably a little bit of both. That'll lead us into the granddaddy of all of them, the War of the Worlds broadcast that was broadcast. You know, the one that caused it, that started the major the major everything. I, I still mm-hmm. listen to that one every every once in a while. They'll still play it on the radio, and you can still catch it here and there. I still have that file. I have the original yeah. file. It's weird because you go back and you listen to it, like me and you, people of our age, we listen to it and we go, wow, this sounds really cheesy, you know, but mm-hmm. back then people flipped out about it. And that was the major one that stirred everybody up and everybody went nuts. But you mentioned in your book that it wasn't really as as crazy as they made it sound, that it had a lot to do with the newspapers at the time because the newspapers were kind of miffed off at radio for coming along and taking all their advertising dollars. How? What, what's yeah. the angle on that? Because that's the story you really don't hear. You always hear about people shooting up Jed's water tower and, you know, <laughs> right. grabbing the shotgun and the Martians <laughs> right. are coming. We got, you know, we got to get out there. But oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's and that's the fascinating part of, of the whole world. The world story is that uh, is that on what you have this sort of larger superficial you know, belief in the public's mind that that Orson Welles got on the radio and scared everybody, you know, and and there were massive panics and people were, you know, falling over themselves, you know, trampling people to death to get out of the out of the way of the Martian rays and whatever else. And th- that is not quite true. There's there's certainly elements of that that are true. But basically, you know, the, the story went that there were uh, millions and millions of people who panicked. And, uh, you know, was was there a panic? Absolutely, there was. But it wasn't nearly as ex- dramatic and as, as widespread as people said. And part of the reason that this whole mythology is built up was because uh, there was a psychologist at, um, I think it was Princeton, and his name was uh, Had- Hadley Cantrell. Mm-hmm. And he had done some research not too far after, after the, the 1930 broadcast in which he interviewed people. And he got their information and said, you know, what did you do during this panic? And he talked to people and did some research. And he had, he had concluded that, in fact, you know, there were those widespread panic. Um, the problem is that when you go back and you actually look at his sample size, he only talked to about 130 people. I think it was 135 people. And they were all and, from the same trailer park. Yeah, yeah they're, they're all from the same block, right? They're all smoking the same weed. Um, and, and you have to say, well, hold on here. I mean, so, so basically, yeah, as, as any scientist can tell you, uh, you know, uh, an N or a sample size of 135 is, is almost nothing. I mean, certainly in a case like this. And when there were supposedly, you know, uh, sup- allegedly over 6 million people uh, actually heard the radio drama at the time. Right. And some people say that, well... Uh, maybe about a third of them, you know, one and a half million, give or take, actually believed um, they were hearing a real news bullet and that all these things were going on. And again, as I mentioned with the, with the, the London riot hoax, you know, it, it's not true that everybody who heard it, you know, immediately believed everything and they thought the Martians were coming and they, you know, they did all this. But certainly some of them did. And so you, you, you sort of have to debunk these stories a little bit to say, OK, it's not quite as dramatic as people said, but it's still an interesting story. And, and here's why. And so and part of the sort of the debunking of the 
of the War of the Worlds myth is re-examining Cantrell's original research. And it turned out that there's another sociologist came along later on uh, called William Bainbridge. And he, he looked at that and he said, look, you know, Cantrell really, really overestimated this. And but, but however, what's, what's happened is, is that since that research has been done, the public has sort of bought into the mass panic story. Uh, partly because you know it, it makes a better story. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah, more right. interesting to think that you know two million people trampled over each other to <laughs> escape the the Martians than it is to say, well, a couple you know twenty thousand people or you know ten thousand people. You know, it's it, it's just a matter of scale. But but if you think about it, either way, it's an amazing achievement. And I don't mean achievement in a good way necessarily, but <laughs> but really, I mean, you think about it. I mean, to 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 get people to really you know believe this and and you know and, and be scared about it and and you know go through the motions. Some people actually uh, you know left. People were leaving the cities. You had people mm-hmm. who the one woman uh, actually, as I recall the story, she actually reported seeing this. She called the police and said, "I can see the flames." that are being described in trade broadcast. Um, and she, she's looking, you know, on the horizon or something, and who knows what she was looking at. But I think it was just probably city lights or, I don't know, a brush fire. I have no idea what it was, and no one else does either. But whatever it was, she interpreted these lights on the horizon as being, you know, the evidence that the alien ships were coming down and, and that, you know, the city was aflame. And so that's that's one of the fascinating things to me about this case is that you had – it wasn't just, you know, a one-way street. It wasn't just, you know, Orson Welles doing this radio broadcast with, you know, with good actors and, and you know, sound effects and using real place names and, and all that sort of thing. But it was a two-way street where people – they, they scared each other and they scared themselves. And that's oftentimes what you have. I mean, that's, that's, for example, why a lot of times in horror films, you know, the, uh, the director won't show you the monster until the end. Um, yeah. You know, the creeping horror, you know, that it's, you know, for the first two thirds of the movie, it's, you know, it's, it's hidden behind shadows and you see glimpses of it. And the reason, of course, is that directors know, certainly, you know, horror film directors, for example, know that your person's imagination is far more powerful than anything they can put on the screen. I mean, there, there were very vivid, uh, descriptive um, accounts of what, what people were seeing in the radio broadcast. But, uh, but even then, people, people in real life were reporting seeing some of these things. Mm-hmm, and it's, right. just fa- it's a fascinating example of how, how uh, you know, the, the power of suggestion, the power, you know, if someone tells you to look for something, if you're, you know, I encounter this all the time, for example, in ghost investigations or, or Bigfoot investigations, where if you think the house is haunted, if that's the, main, if that's the context that you're operating in and the worldview, then anything weird is going to be attributed to a ghost. If you're hearing creaks or there's, you know, there's a squirrel on the roof or, you know, any weird thing is going to be like, oh, my God, could that be a ghost? And same thing if you're, if you're in the woods and you see something big and dark and scary that you can't identify – if if there's if you if you got Bigfoot on the brain and you've been watching you know Bigfoot documentaries or whatever else, then there's a good chance that you're going to interpret whatever that is as Bigfoot, and and that's exactly what happened with the War of the Worlds case where people were interpreting ordinary mundane phenomena in in extraordinary ways. The thing that blows me away is this happened. The world pretty much knew about it. It was you know world news that everybody flipped out about this, mm-hmm. and what blows my mind is it happened again. You know, <laughs> how could this happen? Where did it happen? How you, you would think people would be like, oh, yeah, that happened up in New York. Those, those crazy Americans, you know, Telemundo wasn't around yet. Yeah, really. <laughs> but it happened well, I mean, again in South America. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you, yeah. And that's it actually. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's actually happened a couple of times. Uh, one of the most famous cases was one in in Santiago, Chile. Mm hmm. 
And uh, it happened actually just a few years after the, the, the 1938 broadcast. It was in, uh, in November 1944. It was the exact same thing. I mean, just, just, you know, same song, second verse. It was, you know, <laughs> massive news reports and, and people, you know, the reports was talking about how this radio station uh, in, in the capital of Santiago and people were, you know, there are aliens coming and people were running and, 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 you know, people were scattering and, and you know, the, the army was being called out to battle these things. One element to this, one, one thing that a lot of people fail to realize, when, when you look back on these, these, these radio accounts and you look back on these radio scripts, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's easy to sort of think, you know, that's, that's pretty cheesy, you know, for, from a 2012 perspective. Yeah. Um, but, but part of the reason these things have such uh, verisimilitude and such, such realism is that uh, in these, this happened in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Chilean case in 1944 and also happened in the, in the original uh, War of the Worlds case in 1938, is the script was very smart. The producers knew what they were doing, the writers. This was not, this was not an accident. <laughs> this was not random. This was not poorly planned. This was well done, well scripted, believable, good actors, good sound effects. And, and furthermore, they did something that urban legends do. And the folklore does. And that is it adapts regionally. So, for example, if you hear an urban legend about, you know, a, 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 you know someone, uh, someone in a mall parking lot who's hiding under cars, slashing women as they step into their cars, slashing their ankles with a razor blade as they step into their cars, mm. you can hear that story in, in Kansas City and it'll be in a local mall or you can hear it in, in, in Los Angeles and it'll be a different local mall. The, the narrative is the same. You know, we had the, it here the, in Meriden. Here in Meriden, Connecticut, we had the same thing. People from the Latin Kings were hiding underneath cars. <laughs> I did not know that. There, <laughs> there you go. go. There yep. you go. And I just pulled that pulled that off the top of my head. But yeah. that's exactly what happens. And 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 that's fascinating because again, it's to, to the people who hear this story and these these warnings and this folklore and fake lore and urban legends, the reason it's believable is because it's localized because it has local variants that apply to the listeners that apply to the the, the, the audience basically. Right. And that exact same thing happened, you know, in the War of the Worlds case where it wasn't, you know, this is happening in, you know, in China or this is yeah, happening right. in Moscow. No, this is happening right you know, here, right <laughs> here, right now. You know, this is it's happening not far from where you are. And damn it, you need to be scared. Right. And they used, for example, they used the the they didn't use fictional names. They used real people's names. Yep. Um, you know, for example, if they if they named the governor, you know, the governor has been taken. If you just say the governor, then that could be anywhere. If you name the governor of your state or the mayor, you know, Mayor Bloomberg, then you're like, whoa, they just use well, someone's real shit. name. This this must be this must be true. And that's that's a big part of why this was so realistic to so many people. And that's what one element that, that often gets overlooked when people are sort of you know saying, oh well, you know, isn't it kind of silly? Weren't they so stupid? Weren't they so crazy? No, that's you're <laughs> you're, yeah, in you're the looking case of, at this the wrong way. In the case of War of the Worlds, they used a town that you know like nothing ever happens in. I mean, it all landed in Grover's Mill. The lady I work with grew up right outside of Grover's Mill. She's like, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Her mother remembers the story being told. She was alive when the broadcast came over. And they're like, nothing happened. Because she asked her mother. She's like, what happened during the world of worlds? She's like, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I looked out the field. The field was there. Yeah, she's like, what do you Someone think happened? Someone shot our nothing. water tower. <laughs> Somebody shot the water tower. Yeah, I looked out was... the field later. It was still there. Yep. <laughs> I'm, of course, surprised that the H.G. Wells classic which is the original for many fantasies about invasions by mythical monsters from the planet Mars. And 
extremely surprised to learn that a story which has become familiar to children through the medium of comic strips and uh, many succeeding novels and adventure stories should have had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. All right, well, let's step a little bit further back and let's talk about the Halley's Comet scare of 1910. I found this one interesting. I remember when I was younger, when Halley's Comet came back through and uh, they were, I remember hearing people talking about this, but at the time I was a lot younger and I wasn't really paying attention to it. Tell us about the Halley's Comet scare, because this one, this one actually kind of, from a, from a scientific standpoint, if you don't know anything about science or a little bit about science, it does sound like it could make some sense. Yeah, and, and I, I just love that story because, you, you again, when you look at it from a sort of a mythology point of view and a folklore point of view, of course, comets um, and eclipses are they're they're mentioned around the world in in folklore and stories and you know every just about every time when there's the for example Halley's comet comes through the air people people you know make note of it you know there's historical accounts of you know this comet filled the skies and mm-hmm. and yeah and a, a, even in some cases uh, some people who are who are uh, UFO believers have tried to sort of tie that into well you know maybe it wasn't Halley's comet maybe it was a UFO that happened to show up on the same night as Halley's comet yeah i guess it could be Sure. Um, sure. Why not? But but no. But you're exactly right in terms of the scientific aspect of the Halley's Comet scare of 1910, and that and it is again sort of it's a fascinating blend of of, of both you know media panics and and scares and and it brings some science into it. And so basically, what happened was that there had been uh, Halley's Comet had come in in May of uh, 1910. And, you know, people, astronomers had, had, had known about it. I mean, this wasn't anything new. They said, you know, this has happened before and this is going to happen again. You know, of course, at the time, uh, astronomy was still in, in its infancy um, in terms of, you know, gathering data and whatever else. And so it, the, the science, of course, wasn't nearly as advanced as it is today. In, in many ways, you had these, these scientists and, and astronomers talking about how isn't this interesting and exciting that um, – that we're going to be, you know, we're going to get another chance to see Halley's Comet that hasn't been seen, you know, since I think 1835, and you know, it was a it was a big story in the public, in the in the, in the newspapers, and in the media because you know it's it's interesting, it's new, nobody had certainly nobody alive had seen it at that point. Um, so this was this was getting very exciting. This is really exciting that the public until there was dun, dun, dun. <laughs> until in, uh, in on February 6th in in the uh, Washington Post. They had they carried a story um, that said that a, a French astronomer um, named uh, Camille Flammarion, I think it was, uh, said that uh, there was actually danger uh, that, that you know that actually going the, the the appearance of Halley's comet may actually kill everybody on Earth. <laughs> so oh. um, now again to 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 modern astronomers and modern audiences, this seems kind of silly. Um, you know, well, it just well, doesn't seem of. likely. This <laughs> happened with Elenin not too long ago. Well, there, there's common <laughs> Elenin and there's Niburu and other things like that. But, <laughs> but the oh, see, I, I hit a nerve. Sorry. Oh God, you uh, don't even know what nerve you just hit. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, just clean up so, the mess. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's okay. But anyway, so basically, the, so this 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 French astronomer uh, had 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 concluded that there was uh, in fact um, cyanide gas, cyanogen gas. Uh, in 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 the tail of Halley's comet, and that and that you know it's all great and wonderful to see that in the sky, but that Earth would actually be passing through 
the tail of Halley's Comet uh, on, on its way as 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 does. Sure. And we have um, no atmosphere and no. No, no, yeah, it just comes right. You know, nothing. Sure, yeah, absolutely. No, that <laughs> and that was and that was um and, and so yeah, th- this was put out there and the public is like, oh my god. You know, where this is this is an unusual event. You know, of course, Halley's Comet. It's a big deal. People are talking about it in the in the media and public and elsewhere. And and it, it is in fact. I mean, it's true that how the, the the tail of Halley's Comet does have uh, cyanogen gas, mm-hmm. uh, which which is related to cyanide, which can kill you. <laughs> sure. So if you're out there. <laughs> right, right. If if you're out there and, and breathing, <laughs> right, and the space and cold doesn't kill you, then you might exactly. be in trouble. Yeah, sure. Oh, there you go. Right, right, right. And so, <laughs> uh, so this story in in the Washington Post just scared people all over the place because again, you had you had a scientist, you have an, an astronomer, and you know this isn't just you know the guy down the street, you know your milkman saying, "Hey, I think we're going to be in trouble when Halley's Comet comes along." This is a a noted. I'm doing these yokel voices. I'm, I apologize, to Elizabeth. Why? It's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, you had you had a, a a French physicist who's who I cannot imitate, and I will. Oh, uh, astronomer who who committed to kill us. We got Inspector Clouseau on the case, right? <laughs> and so so you had this stuff out there, and and because of you know, look at this. You have you have the authority being. The, the French astronomer, and you have it being reported in a in a reputable newspaper. This was not some you know some local independent weekly. This was you know the Washington Post, and so be- between the two uh, credibility factors, people were really really concerned. Um, and so once and and so people began to panic. And then eventually, what happened was that the the astronomer Flammarion heard about this, and he realized that that what he what he'd said, even though it was technically true and scientifically true. Uh, what the public didn't hear and, and wasn't really you know highlighted in the story was that yes the well is in theory yes if you're in the middle of this cyanogen gas you're in trouble however because Earth has an atmosphere um, <laughs> <laughs> this is you know it's going to disperse it's, 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 it's basically not going to affect us and so um, he he uh, he sort of realized that he had not again not misspoken but he'd been sort of mischaracterized and uh, so he he immediately I think uh, not immediately I think it was after a, a couple days or a while he he did you know issue a statement I think to the New York Times uh, that published a, an editorial that said look you know I understand that everyone's talking about this, but you need to realize that uh, you know it's not it's not quite as dangerous as people are, were saying. Although, again, at the time, you know the the science wasn't up to wasn't really up to snuff. They they didn't really really know. Uh, you know, I, again, the, in retrospect, we can think of how ridiculous it is because you know we're protected by the the ionosphere and the atmosphere and whatever else. But again, to that audience at that time. Uh, it was quite believable, and um, and this is the, one of the interesting things about this case is that it was definitely uh, you know a media driven panic because uh, you know if if this this uh, French astronomer had just said that to a colleague or said that to his next door neighbor, nobody would have heard about it. But because it's in a mainstream newspaper, suddenly it gets its credibility and it goes out there. And um, and what what ended up happening is that the smaller newspapers and other newspapers across the country picked up the story because of course. It's a big story. It's a, you know, it's a, you know, if if Earth is going to be going through toxic gases very soon, you might want to mention that, you know, if, if yeah, you maybe <laughs> or not, right? Or you just know? let let people figure it out. Sure. Um, so if that, that's failed, basically what you know, it's you're doomed. 
Right. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, so, so the, anyway, the, but in essence, there was there was a strong um, there was a strong sensationalism aspect to it. The, you know, people wanted to sell newspapers, and they realized that if they're going to report stories, it, it, it's the same thing as always. I mean, the you know the alarmist, sensational story is going to sell more far more papers than the sort of skeptical debunking story that says, "Look, guys, this isn't really <laughs> this isn't really that big a deal." Yeah, wait till all your money's made, then come out and say, nah, we're just kidding. It's fine. Yeah. We're smelling a trend here. You mean media lies? <laughs> oh, I don't believe nonsense. it. Nonsense. Um, let's move on to a happier topic. Um, <laughs> me and Lobo Uh-oh. have kids. I have kids that are, are teenagers, and I went through the Pokemon phase with my kids, which leads me to the Pokemon panic. Panic. Yes. Panic. God. The oh. Pokemon panic. The Pokemon panic, which... Uh, you know, I remember it really clearly, and this was, I, I think this happened just before the internet started to become really big, but I remember hearing the story about um, about the kid watching TV, and then he just goes into an epileptic fit because the screen would start changing color. And I remember at the time I had AOL online dial up, and I finally remember seeing the <laughs> video and I was going, wow, this is what all this is about. But I had always thought it was like an urban legend kind of thing. I didn't realize that the media had reported that that it actually happened. And I didn't realize it actually – I thought it was like one kid. I didn't realize it was so many. But at the same time, I didn't think it was quite what it actually was. And you go into the book and explain a little bit more about what the Pokemon panic was all about. Have at it. What's what's the deal with Pokemon? <laughs> What is this Pokemon you speak of? <laughs> well, um, yeah, actually, I mean, the, the the Pokemon Panic. I, I covered it. I covered it briefly in one of my previous books, um, Scientific Paranormal Investigation. I think it's one of the last chapters in that book. A fine book, by the way. Um, <laughs> And uh, it, it's actually interesting. It's it's one of you know I am I'm, I'm probably best known for investigating so-called unexplained, mysterious, paranormal things like that. Uh, you know, well, ghosts. Pokemon's very play. mysterious and paranormal. Pokemon, exactly. <laughs> the people. There's something play very are. weird about that little thing. Um, <laughs> but this is, this was actually sort of a non-paranormal uh, um, investigation case, which which sort of made it all the more interesting to me. And yeah, basically, it, it occurred um, in in December of 1997. And uh, the story goes for for those who don't remember. And, and in fact, I was going to say for those who hadn't seen the the po- the um, the uh, Simpsons episode because there was actually a Simpsons yeah, episode that, they were all, they that parodied. All fell to the ground. Yeah, where <laughs> Bart you know falls to the ground and he's spinning around because uh, awesome. he saw some flashing lights on the screen. And yeah, they had um, no robots or something like that. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. You know, damn you, damn you, whoo, and then everything's flying around. Um, but but yeah, so basically, what you know, take take us back to December '97. You had a um, an episode um, that was called it was episode number thirty eight. It was called Computer Warrior Polygon, and it was um, you know the typical you know Pokemon stuff and Soshi and the Sajiri and they're walking around. They have Pokemon's, and at one point they they have this battle. And uh, Pikachu, the little yellow mouse creature thing with a creepy looking <laughs> anime <laughs> Japanese thing with the with the tail, uh, he he um, he sends out this this electrical flashing. And uh, in, in sort of in the middle of this battle thing, and there was this this um, this you know, black and back and forth, black and white seizures, flashes, I guess you'd say. And it's a technique that's called paka paka, and it's pretty common in anime. Paka paka, you don't believe me? Go look it up. No, we, I've um, seen it. <laughs> you, you've seen that? I got your paka paka right here, yes, baby. That's it, buddy. 
<laughs> okay then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in a weird mood. I just got off the plane, so I'm. I'm uh, no, it's I'm, okay. Roll with so it. I'm okay. jet lagged. <laughs> so anyway, back to the pocket pocket. So, uh, the the there's this cartoon comes out, and and you, one thing you have to remember with the Pokemon case was that this wasn't just a kids' cartoon. I mean, people think of it as you know just you know kids you know kids and preteens, but in fact, Pokemon just uh, to, to some degree still is, but still is, but it's certainly at the time was popular all across the board. You had old people, young people, uh, adults. Uh, so this was really widely seen all over the place. And, um, and what happened was that, that immediately hundreds uh, of, of kids started having these seizures, began you know, freaking out, and they were foaming at the mouth, and they were you know, spinning around, and they, they had all sorts of really, really weird uh, symptoms. And, um, and no, nobody knew what was going on. And, and of course, it scared, uh, it scared Nintendo and, and everybody else and, and Japanese TV because they thought, oh, my God, you know, this, this cartoon is, is, you know, is harming kids, which is, of course, an advertiser's nightmare. And, uh, but nobody knew what was going on. So they, they, they sent these kids to the, um, to, to the hospitals and they were checked in. And the, none, there were, none of them were fatal. It was all, it was all sort of, you know, Tenuous, uh, sort of ambiguous. You know, some people headaches and nausea and uh, fainting and, and things like that, and occasional fits and convulsions, but nothing that was really you know life threatening or anything. Right. And um, and so th- this whole thing went out, and then uh, and then what later turned out when you t- when you look at the news reports later on, there were actually tens of thousands of kids that did this. And and everyone's like freaking out, and uh, Japanese TV and the government, you know, immediately ap- apologized. Well, actually, actually, it's kind of funny. What they did was they, um, <laughs> they on the news reports because th- this actually happened in in the evening. Um, uh, I forget it was like eight thirty or I think it was like six six thirty at night or something. And so this there was these seizures, and the kids went to the hospitals. And then later on during the evening news. They said, hey, you know, this happened. And then they, they showed the same sequence again. And then oh more kids. <laughs> and more kids, like, started having seizures. They're like, this was not a good idea, right? It's like, quit putting that clip on the air. Oh, my um, God. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was not one of the finer moments in television history. But um, oh so after, after they showed the clip and had more kids go into seizures, um, then they. Up? Watch this. <laughs> well, here, let's bring up the kids. We'll, 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 see, we'll see what they do. We'll just line them up and see which ones fall apart. Oh, look, he's frothing. Isn't Jess just darling? Isn't he darling? A little Kajiri. Quick, grab um, his Charizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Where was he? Oh, yeah. So so there are all these inquiries, and the doctors are baffled, and no one can no one can figure out exactly what's going on. And uh, the, the best they could come up with was that it was uh, what's called photosensitive epilepsy, or PSE. Mm-hmm. And uh, PSE is a, is a very real thing, and it happens. I've seen it in uh, action. You've seen it in action. Do you do you have, have PSE? Or? I don't have. No, I have fa- uh, family members in my members of my family have um, epilepsy. Some of them, and some of them are photo uh, sensitive. And I, mm-hmm. we had a strobe going, and we watched a guy stroke out on the floor. I was like, "Oh my god!" And you say that with such fondness. I know. <laughs> we knew it, we knew it was going to happen, and we oh did it anyway. <laughs> It's on YouTube. You can see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> this was a long time ago, man. <laughs> Did you send America's Funniest Home Video? I should have, man. He fell down like he went down like a house of cards. We knew we was just counting on it. We we're like ten, nine, and he's gone. Oh my god! Wow, you're just a sadist, aren't you? He knew it was going to happen. He was. He knew it was going to happen. He, he was looking. For, oh, he asked for it. Well, blaming no, he the victim here. We told him we're going to turn this on. You're going to fall out. <laughs> he's well, like, he, all right. 
He laughed at me when I fell out from smoking. Oh, never mind. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So anyway, so all this stuff is going on. And, and so the, the, the doctor's like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And and ultimately, the, the, the conclusion was that that uh, at least some of the kids and probably many of them had photosensitive epilepsy. The problem was that the whole thing was still a mystery because that didn't explain the sheer numbers of kids that were reported to have been affected. Because, uh, again, if you, if you look at some of the news reports, like, uh, up to like 10,000 kids had had seizures and, and, and went into the, all these different convulsions and things. Mm-hmm. And so this was actually a big mystery for, for several years. And I investigated it in, in the year 2000. And so this is like three years after the, the event. The event. And I was intrigued by the case partly because it was such a well-known case. It was known all around the world. You know, it, it was you know it was massive newspaper coverage. Everyone was freaking out, and you know, an- animators were freaking out, and the studios were freaking out. But nobody had really conclusively figured out what what was going on. And um, in the end, what what uh, what Bob Bartholomew and I discovered um, was that it was that it was almost certainly largely mass hysteria. And, you know, it, it's true that there were, in fact, um, uh, several hundred kids who had uh, who, who went to hospital with uh, with photosensitive epilepsy. The problem is that the incidence of PSE doesn't come anywhere near explaining the the number of kids who were affected. So it just it just doesn't add up. I mean, the the, the number of people that have PSE Either, you know, certainly in the general population, certainly not in the, in the Japanese population, doesn't come anywhere near explaining 10,000 kids. And so what I did is I went back and I looked at the, at the news coverage. And what I realized was that once you construct a timeline, you realize that the, 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 if you look at the news reports right after it happened, uh, this would be on, on December, December 17th, for example, um, the news reports say that a, a few dozen and, and then later on a few hundred kids went to, went to the hospital. If you look at news reports that, uh, the, the news, I'm sorry, reports that appeared in the news several days later, um, there was up to, again, over 10,000. So the question is, well, hold on here. How, how did it jump from seven, 700 to over 10,000? And what happened was that the kids who had these seizures and who had gone to, gone to the, their, their schools and the playgrounds, they had basically um, infected each other. They, 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 they spread this whole meme of, of contagion. And so it wasn't until after, uh, after the kids had, had talked to each other and had, had seen news reports, at that point, that's when it spiked up to 10,000. And so, uh, so the the Pokemon story is an interesting case because there was there absolutely was a true sort of index series, a, a true original series of of photosensitive epilepsy cases, and that's that's pretty well been proven if you look at the medical literature. But it's also crystal clear that that the second wave, uh, the, the 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 vast majority of the reported cases was in fact mass hysteria and not PSE. And uh, anyway, um, Bob Bartholomew and I wrote up a piece that appeared in the Southern Medical Journal. Uh, it's actually uh, the only piece that I've written so far for a medical journal that, that was published there. So that's kind of a kind of a cool thing. And and, and part sure. of the reason I really enjoy that story is that it's a case where um, you know an informed layperson could make a a real contribution to the mystery because you know I I'm not a medical doctor. I I don't know that much about. But epilepsy. you play one on television. I play one on television. Right? I, have, I have a nice lab coat. Now I walk around with ghosty things and EMF detectors, and it's very impressive. 
Um, but but you know, but in my case, I was just you know I I did have some background in mass hysteria. I did you know I have a degree in psychology, so I did have some background in this. But at the end of the day, um, it's it was a neat case because it was one that really had stumped experts around the world, and it wasn't that I was necessarily smarter than a lot of them. It's just that I, I approached it from a different point of view and I was able to, to sort of, you know, add the final piece of the puzzle. One Baker Five, this is Mooney speaking. I was a little worried about you. I thought the big bad clowns got a hold of you. Over. Mooney, I want you to listen to me and don't say anything. I want you to call the state police and get help. There are clowns and they are killing people. Over. Okay, let me get this straight. You say there are clowns and you've seen them. Okay, Dave, that's it. Screw you and your college flunkies. I've had enough of this from you and from everyone else. I know what you guys are trying to do. Break me down, drive me out of the force. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. The next one I'm going to move on to, The Phantom Clown Panic, because it's just so freaking bizarre. (laughs) It's just so weird. I remember hearing about this when this was going on. We have a local mall around here. It's in Dearborn. And and they had all of these mannequin clowns that were just sitting like up in the rafters and stuff around this mall. And it was really, really creepy. And then (laughs) this story broke. And then really quickly, the mall mysteriously just pulled the clowns down. But they were really... Really you freaky. Find a clown anywhere in any of the malls, anywhere near here when that hit. I mean, it's even Spencer Gift took down. They took down everything. You couldn't get a clown wig for fifty miles. Wow, I didn't know it that. That's crazy. That's, and I had no I, idea that's, that's it was cool. as crazy as it was. Again, I thought it was just one of those weird urban myths reported on here and there vaguely on the news. I had no idea it was so crazy as it is. And it fits all of the stereotypical stories about, you know, the dry driving around with the windowless van and things right. like that. And I think just recently me and Lobo in our last episode, we covered a story about how there was um, a panic over in, over in Britain about somebody with, there was reports of a, a window. Uh, was it a white in Britain or was it in Australia? Was it? Aus- I don't remember I think right it was now. Australia. Yeah, I there think it was, was a, Australia. The white van. Uh, yeah. Massacres or the, the serial killers. Or kidnappings. Like yeah. Yeah. There was a story that was just we just recently covered it. So then I come across in the book where you've got the story about the phantom, the, the white, the white windowless vans being driven by weird phantom clowns. So uh, yeah, have at <laughs> it. This is like, such hey. a crazy story. <laughs> ben knows about that. Let's get him to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the the phantom clown panic. I mean it's one of those where when you talk to people uh, about clowns, you sort of get this weird variety. Some people are like. Just the, the the thought of clowns, you can see them shivering. <laughs> like, oh, we, we know a fellow podcaster who's terrified of clowns. And I love them. I the eviler, Mr. The uh, Jeffrey Ritzman out of Paratopia. But go ahead. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's you know, I I've I've interviewed a couple colorophobics and it's uh and I've asked them like what what are you so scared of? It's just a clown. They're like, It's a clown, damn it. Don't you understand? Yeah. Like you bring <laughs> up a Harlequin like, around those people and they will go bizarre. Harlequin and mimes. Harlequin clowns and mimes just make them go berserk. I guess there's something evil about a mind because it doesn't express itself or it, oh, uh, itself. Listen to me. Itself. <laughs> the non-human mimes that I speak of. You got to think about it, though. If you as a child, you, the first thing you're told as a child is, you know, you're not, you know, 
these these are your parents, blah, 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 blah. Humans are great. These are the ones that are going to take care of you. And then this thing shows up at some party that is supposed to be smiling. It's a bit askew. The hair color's wrong. And it's laughing all the time. And it's John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So Pogo have at it. <laughs> oh yes. All right. So we're we're distracted by Pogo the Clown. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. Basically, uh, you know, you you had th- this phantom clown panic, and it it occurred in in the early 1980s, right around actually in in May 6th, 1980 was was one of the first reports, and that was in Brookline, Massachusetts. And there was uh, there was a story. Of, well, the APB went out for for police who said that they should be on the lookout for for a bunch of clowns and the story was that the reason that the incident that triggered the APB was that um, there were uh, some children at a local um, local uh, school that said that uh, somebody had had pulled up to them and tried to abduct them and it was an older model um, a vehicle with a broken headlight had no hub hubcaps and had side ladders and it was also full of clowns <laughs> by what? the way yeah yeah and so and so the police are saying, well, what else was distinctive about it? Did you get a license plate? It's like, no, but it was full of, you know, clowns. Now, you would think <laughs> that you would think that this would be distinctive. I mean, if you're if you're going to try to abduct somebody, whether it's a child or not, probably dressing up as a bunch of clowns is not the best way to avoid suspicion. <laughs> I mean, you know, if there's an APB out for you, they're going to nail you right away because, you know, if you just go for some generic car, you know, in, in some, some generic outfit, you know, who's going to notice, but clowns are really going to draw attention. Yeah. And, and because of this, uh, people thought that, oh my God, these clowns that are trying to abduct these children are going to be caught because, you know, they they stand out so much uh, with their big noses and, and floppy, uh, floppy uh, you know, wigs and, and, and feet. And, um, but no, uh, police couldn't find them. It was this big, weird thing. And, uh, and finally the police were like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We didn't see anything, you know. And, and they kind of suspected that the kids were making it up. I mean, they didn't. Typically, police don't like to say, the kid's a liar. <laughs> that doesn't yeah, go over well with the public. Yeah, but but yeah, but ultimately, I mean, you know, police and parents know that sometimes kids just make things up, and so it was kind of dismissed. Sometimes, uh, sometimes. turns out it was just a, a group of ICP juggalos on their way to a concert. <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> Fla- flashing and terrifying kids along the way. There you go. And uh, but 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 what happened was that that pretty soon um, in Boston, uh, the exact same thing happened, where people were they're, they're, again there were there were. Uh, Kids who said that uh, a clown had sort of stopped by, stopped by in, in a place called Franklin Park, mm-hmm. and had been had been trying to abduct people. So at this point, you have two in a row, and parents are like freaking out. And the clowns are out there, and it's weird when I say it that way. Clowns are out there, <laughs> and um, and and of course the 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 public are, is up in arms. Parents are up in arms. Teachers are freaking out. The police are promising that they're going to catch these these perverts. Um, but what, what but what kept happening was that they could never find anybody. Uh, you know, it, it's it, the kids were saying, "Look, I mean, I was there. That they pulled up, and there was they gave, they were given these very detailed descriptions that would seem very believable. Certainly after after the second one, I mean, you, you can picture, you know, one one you know, one kid saying something, but then if in in a nearby city a couple of days later another kid says a similar thing, you're like, well, hold on here, maybe there's something to that. <laughs> And he so, tried to take me. What do you look like? Well, uh, Ronald McDonald. Well, <laughs> it was Ronald. 
What the hell? <laughs> and so pretty soon what happened was that there were notes going home with parents saying, you know, need, you need to watch out. You know, that we've, there's been stories about these these uh, people dressed as clowns trying to abduct children. And and what you found was that, um, again, there was never, never any evidence of these things. And furthermore, nobody was ever abducted. <laughs> and, and and this and this is as is that they were they were always near misses. They were always just barely gotchas. They were nobody was ever actually abducted by clowns. Nobody ever got photographs of these uh, these these clowns and these cars or anything else. And um, and but people were just freaking out about this. And um, some people, uh, some people, you know, this is before the internet, of course. Uh, but people were were you know discussing and you know rumors and gossip and talking about like, oh my God, you know, could this be some evil satanic, you know, clown posse, you know, <laughs> clown circus of Satan, you know? Uh, and um, who knows, you know, it's it's plausible, I suppose. Sure, sure. Um, and and so you know, basically, it's finally, what happened clown. was that. Was that the the, the the phantom clown reports spread uh, uh, to different cities? I, I've forgotten how many off the top of my head. I think there were like four or five different cities over the course of over the course of um, of six months, and then there were a few later on, where where um, the news reports, of course, picked these things up right away because you know again going back to what we were talking about earlier with, with uh, some of the the War of the Worlds hoaxes and other ones, the news media loves this type of story. Um, you know. It, how how scary and freaky and I mean how many papers are you going to sell if you're trying to convince you know parents that their kids are going to be abducted by a clown? I mean that's, <laughs> that's I mean they 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 can't print the papers fast enough, right? No, God, probably ran out of trees. <laughs> probably did, yeah. and 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 the local airwaves and the you know the, the local news reporters you know w- went to town with it, and so you had a lots and lots of media publicity, and and what you found was of course that. Uh, in retrospect, I, I say, of course, but uh, you know the, the the news reports fueled other other reports, other media reports, and so you had these things where you had this case where kids and parents in different areas heard about these phantom clowns, you know, maybe say fifty miles away, and so they get that in their heads, and then someone else sees something, you know, out of the corner of their eye, or you know, some some stranger who's driving by a school that for for whatever reason looks weird or looks clownish or something. Maybe it's, you know, Richard Simmons with his afro. I don't Richard know. Richard Simmons. <laughs> Mr. Oh, back in the day. Um, and, and, and again, so what they do is they sort of impose that mental image and that sort of scare and that panic onto this, and then they report it themselves. And so it, it, just, it just, you know, went, went wild. And, um, again, it was fascinating. And the police are freaking out because they can't – they keep getting these reports. They keep getting pressure from politicians and parents and teachers, what are you doing about this menace? And the cops are saying, what do you want me to do? We've got APBs out. No one's, no one's finding these things. We're shutting know. down circuses. Yeah. We, <laughs> we can only, you know, we stop, we stop a car. Then, you know, we, we, we tell the clowns to come out. There's one after another. After another. Next thing, we've got 30 <laughs> clowns coming out of this damn car. <laughs> it's just, it's just sick, you know, and, and it's, it's not fair to the clowns really. No, um, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. And so finally what happened was uh, it was and it, the other thing you have to remember is that these sorts of panics and scares, they don't occur in a vacuum. Um, these things, you know, the, these events and these mysterious phenomena often, you know, the, they're are social and cultural things that sort of lead up to this. And this is right around the time, for example, in the in the early uh, 80s and 90s when you had uh, like uh, Stephen King's It with Pennywise right. coming. Pennywise. He was the best clown. Pennywise. <laughs> the evilest best clown you had let's all float uh, down this way 
Oh, down here, yes. <laughs> Killer clowns so had, from outer you know, space. Killer yep. clowns from outer space, exactly. You Absolutely. Had, you had all these different things, and, and later on you had Homie the Clown. You know, Homie don't play oh, that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Remember all that? Yep. And so you so you, you have these these icons of clowns in the public consciousness. Not that they're necessarily evil, although in many cases, as we mentioned with Pennywise and Killer Clowns and other ones, that they were. Sideshow but, Bob. Sideshow Bob. There you go. Another another good example. But what what you know again when you look at the 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 social circumstances behind it, you realize that at the same time that this all this was going on, there was also a moral panic surrounding uh, what what were believed to be massive cases of of secret uh, uh, sexual abuse, rich, in fact, right. satanic sexual abuse. So yeah. you had horrific cases such as the Martin Preschool case, the Fells Acres cases. Um, right. That there's lots of, and I, I've written about those in in Skeptical Inquiry and elsewhere, where you you had these children who were who were making up these stories. In some cases, in other cases, they were being led by overzealous psychologists and police detectives uh, who really want they they want to get these stories, and they 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 really con- were convinced that there were these these packs of underground, you know, secret, um, you know, satanic ritual sexual abuse, and all these stories were coming out at the exact same time that, that these 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 uh, these clowns are being reported, and um, and what you found in, in many of these cases, and just horrific miscarriages of justice, you know, where you had you had you know children saying that they were abused and this and that, and in, in some cases just these wild, you know, that they, they were taken in helicopters to a remote desert <laughs> island, and, and you know sharks were circling them, and and you know just With no you know, in retrospect, it's amazing that anybody would have thought that any of this was true. But at the time, it's important to remember, in the mid-80s, this was serious business. This is the time yeah. when Geraldo Rivera was oh, putting geez. on, you know, specials every other week about the satanic panic. And, oh, my God, you know, are Satanists, you know, doing things to our children? And, uh, again, sort of tying into the, the clowns. And that's, this is exactly what happened. It, it's, the parallels are unmistakable, where you had children who were, who were having these stories of clowns. And, again, it's not necessarily they were making it up. They're liars or hoaxers. Uh, maybe some of them more. We don't know. But at the end of the day, what we do know is that there were not phantom clowns going around trying to duck children uh, in, in in the eastern seaboard um, in the early 80s. There's just simply no evidence for that whatsoever in the same way that you know, in, in a lot of these high-profile sexual abuse cases, there simply was not any evidence of any – uh, you know, systematic uh, ritual abuse, sexual abuse, or you know, satanic, uh, satanic abuse. And so, again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times, in order to really fully understand these these phenomena and these panics and these these moral panics, you have to look at the the broader social context, and you have to sort of see what else was at play at the same time. I'll kill you all. <laughs> I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all. I'm every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. Well, I'm going to ask you about one more serious one, and then I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things that you didn't cover in your book. But I'm going to lead into this one, and this is the Katrina evacuation myths, because this was fairly recent for us, and we all remember when that storm came through. I remember watching the news, and I remember hearing the reports of how the the Louisiana uh, Superdome, where it was mass chaos inside, and, and babies were getting killed, and just all kinds of really crazy reports were coming out of there. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're hearing it from all the news networks and it's like, whoa, what's what's going on down there? Because you can visualize these kinds of things happening in your head with martial law being imposed and the government and everything being down there and the lines of communication being cut. So when you're seeing mm-hmm. the stuff on the news, it was really easy to see that and go, yeah, this this is bad. This is really serious. This is this is looking pretty rough down there. So talk about the Katrina situation and what it was portrayed as and what actually happened. Yeah, and, and that's and it's a good example. One reason I especially like that example is that it's recent, as you mentioned. It's this is not ancient history. This didn't happen in 1938. This happened just a few years ago, and it shows how easily we can be misled uh, by the by the news media when there is a dearth of information. Uh, you know, people think that. In, in this day and age, you know, everyone's, you know, uh, you know, on the Internet, everybody's got smartphones with them, everyone's connected, whatever else, Facebook, whatever else. And that in today's, you know, world of instant communication, you know, there should be little or no misinformation because everybody, you know, there's communication all over the world within seconds. You can Skype with people, you know, uh, across the world. And, and so there, there's, there tends to be this public notion that, that, you know, well, you know, back in the days when, you know, news traveled by, by Pony Express, of course, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you can understand why they, they didn't get it. But we're smarter than that now because we have instant communication satellites and everything else. And, you know, 24-hour news media. But, I mean, this is a perfect example of how nobody is immune. And it doesn't matter how many smartphones you have on you. It doesn't matter how connected you are to the Internet or anything else. Misinformation and bad information, just complete panics and, and these sort of things are, are ubiquitous and can, in fact, uh, and, and did, in fact, occur uh, very recently. And, and, again, here in the States, not necessarily something, you know, in, in Argentina in 1922. This, this happened, you know, in our day and age. Um, and yeah, it was. You, you look at uh, the the whole Katrina story, and you had these reports uh, in the Superdome um, of just just horrific stuff going on. And, and you know, of course, in the devastation of Katrina, uh, you know, er, everything everything is shot. I mean, there's there's no electricity, uh, there's no running water, and so in many ways, it was sort of immediately reduced to a third world country. And so you can you can see why uh, you know communication was 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 sparse and everything else. And and almost immediately, uh, there began there, there there sort of had these rumors coming out that uh, that just horrific crimes you know there were babies being killed and babies being raped and and gangs were going through and just uh, murdering people left and right um, and uh, there was a story for example that that there were uh, that because a lot of the refugees had gone to the Superdome. And they were um, they were huddled there, and they're you know begging people for water and food. And the journalists, the, the few journalists who could actually get in there, uh, they're you know they're they're you know talking to the journalists, trying to say, look, this is what's going on. Please help us. Please help us. And of course, everybody there is in bad shape. Um, and so you you had all these stories going around, and you've got rumors and gossip. And so you had a lot of times what would happen was that the 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 journalists and reporters who finally got in there. Again, they you have to remember it took it took in some cases many days to actually get people in there. It's not like suddenly you know CNN is on location. I mean, there, it just there's there was nothing there. There's no infrastructure to get people there. And so you had these these stories going around. Of just you know, there were lynchings and and bodies stacked on bodies, and you know people killing each other and these rapes and 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 there was one story of, as I recall, there were uh, people who were roped together, uh, that were found like sixteen, seventeen people found tied together, 
in in this flood. And, you know, some the idea being that they had been intentionally drowned or something. And what happened was the journalists reported these things as fact. They said, you know, this is this is what's going on. And there there were a handful of of journalists that that sort of threw the stuff out there, talking about how. Uh, that just, you know, people are being shot and crime and this and that. And th- part of what was going on was the journalists, you know, they didn't actually see the bodies. I mean, there were, there were, certainly were plenty of bodies from Hurricane Katrina. But if you're talking about like bodies of people who are being raped and killed and babies and all babies with their, their, their you know, throat slit and things like that, they, they were basically reporting rumor and gossip as fact because they couldn't they couldn't get to. Uh, they couldn't get to, to to the to the to the bodies, the alleged bodies, in order to, to verify it. And so you have this sort of you know game of telephone. We have this rumor mill where somebody says they they thought they saw something, and then you have a police you know for, for, for example a police chief will will sort of say well you know there are stories that x x x, and that then gets you know mistranslated and misreported as. The police chief said that this is happening, whereas, no, the police chief said there are stories that this is happening. And you, you sort of had this, this leapfrogging of, of logic and facts. And so, uh, you know, eventually it, that all that got sorted out. And, you know, and we, we later learned that, in fact, much of the early reporting of Hurricane Katrina, particularly about the evidence, uh, particularly regarding the circumstances of the Superdome, were either greatly exaggerated or flat out false. You know, the, there were not these things going on. Now, there were horrific things going on. You know, these are refugees. They, they have nowhere to go. You know, there, there was some violence. There was some, you know, there were some attacks. I mean, you, you can't expect to have people who just lost everything. You know, you're going to have criminals. You're going to have all sorts of people. So, you know, again, it, it, as was, you know, earlier we talked about the War of the Worlds case, it is true that some of that was true. There was an element of panic and, and, and this and that, but it was not nearly as, as, uh, as horrific and as, as dramatic as, as often claimed. Another element to this, I should add, is uh, there was a, a certain racist element to it because um, there, there was a lot of, you know, well, who, who, who are most of the refugees? Well, most of them are blacks. Well, you know, uh, and it, for a lot of people, that was well. There you go. You know, you, you have these blacks, and they've lost everything, and they're, and they're just going crazy, killing each other, almost like it's almost like a prison or some sort of you know situation like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that it was overtly racist. I don't think people were like you know, well, you know, those black people are killing each other. Um, but that was certainly the the subtext uh, to to many people who were reading these stories. Well, how much of this stuff do you actually think was purposely generated hype? Do you think? That news organizations were purposely, you know, slightly skewing the facts just to get more ratings because whenever these incidents happen, there's this insatiable hunger for information about when things are going on. You see it with every major disaster, 9-11 and so forth. So right. how much of this do you believe or was, you know, do you think any of this stuff was actually just we, we think we know that this might not be true, but since we're not certain, we're going to throw it up here anyways for the sensa- sensationalism to get more ratings or to get more viewers? Yeah, t- to be honest with you, I think it's a mix of the two. I don't think it's fair to say that um, that it's, you know, just pure alarmism and sensationalism across the board, um, although I, I, I'm certain that was often true. You know, what, what, what you find is that and actually I talk a lot about this in my book, Media Mythmakers. I, I have a couple sections on this. And which, you know, there's in the news gathering process, typically what happens is that journalists and reporters will go to the most devastated people. They, they, they're looking for extremes they're, they're, because the extremes illustrate the story. So, for example, you know, whether it's Columbine or a shooting, whatever else, who do the reporters talk to? 
the reporters don't talk to a member of, of the Columbine school who said, well, it sucked and, you know, I'm upset, but, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't You're know boring. Next. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't. That's not who they talk to. They talk to the people who are crying, who are devastated, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. And my life is never going to be the same. And, you know, I, I never could imagine. So and, and the, you know, this is a, a news bias that really transcends politics. This isn't, a, you know, a left wing, right wing Fox News, MS, MSNBC, whatever else. This is inherent in, in the news gathering process. And so once you understand that the journalists main interest is in, in finding extremes, their, their interest is, you know, they're trying to report a story. And I think that most of them, you know, they, they really do try to do that. It's, it's, you know, there's lots of really good ethical, sincere, hardworking journalists. Journalism is not an easy business to be in. I've, I've done it. So when you're looking at these stories and when you're trying to sort of analyze and, and, and you know, reconstruct the news analysis, a lot of times, again, you have to remember that, that camera people and, and journalists are going to seek out the extremes. They, right. they don't want to talk to the, the, the refugee in the Superdome who's like, well, you know, I'm actually doing okay and I got enough water and I think things are going to be fine. Right. That's not who they want to talk to. They want to talk to the people who's like, oh, my God, we're dying. Send help. You know, we're killing each other here. And, and so what happens is that through that, that sort of self-selecting news process, the people with the most exaggerated stories, the people with the most exaggerated reactions, those are the people that the reporters talk to. And by definition, they're the people with the most exaggerated reactions are the people who who have the wildest stories. They're the people right. that that heard a rumor or a gossip or somebody said that somebody said that, you know, that five people were raped and killed, you know, uh, on the other side of the Superdome last night. Uh, and they're going to be telling this to the reporter. Now, you know, should the reporter uh, check these things uh, before the, before they air? Absolutely. That's that's part of your job is not just to, well, this, you know, this interview, this this witness said this. Well, fine. A witness can tell you anything he wants. The question is not what did the person tell you? The question is, do the facts support what the person told you? But again, within this context of this devastation throughout New Orleans and elsewhere, you have to remember that. You know, journalists, they in many ways, they were hampered as much as anybody else. You know, they 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 couldn't easily get around. You know, it, communications were spotty. You know, you know, transportation was spotty. And a lot of times they, they sort of cut corners in order to get the story out. And right. in a lot of cases, they probably thought they were doing good because you, you see this, for example, when people um, report on, on you know, in disasters, for example, in Africa. You know, you have civil war, you have starvation or you have, you know, things like that. And the journalists, they think I need to bring the world's attention to this, this problem, the social problem. You know, this, this is a crisis. People need to pay attention. Oh, my God. You know, there are people dying here. There are people being killed. And that that sort of altruistic element uh, to journalism uh, is pretty common where the reporter genuinely feels that he or she is doing the right thing by by, you know, giving the most extreme you know, you know, parts of the story in order to scare people. And again, it's not, it's not necessarily in a, in a cynical way, although many times it is a lot of times it's just because they really do think that this might be going on. Uh, and they, they, they want to get the world's attention to come help these people. Right. Hmm. They're trying to get people just as impassioned as they are as what's going on. So if they go for the, if they go for this, the thing that's really going to move people, maybe they'll get an essence of what that passion is and exactly. want to do something about it. 
Exactly. And unfortunately, it turns around to like, oh, my God, let's go kill those people. (laughs) (laughs) Or, yeah, and and it spins around. And so, and again, the the other thing is that, again, a lot of the information was it's not easily accessible. It's not as if, you know, the reporter who is there who's hearing these stories about these horrific things going on, it's not as if, you know, it's right in front of them. You know, yeah, you know, there were four babies who had their, their throat slit, and here they are at your feet. It's, right. you know, well, I don't know where the bodies are right now. They maybe have moved it. But I assure you, you they're know. out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they're out there somewhere. And, and again, I, this is certainly not to excuse the, the journalism because it was, it was abysmally bad. And, and, you know, some people were, were rightfully rebuked for it. But, you know, you can uh, – I wouldn't say you can forgive it, but you can, you can certainly understand how uh, in, in those sorts of trying conditions this sort of thing can go on. Um, and of course, ultimately, the the news editors uh, should be responsible for it. If if someone, you know, if a, if a reporter files a story that has information that may or may not be true, the editor should say, "Yeah, this is interesting. I'm not going to air this part until you, you know, you verify it." Right. Uh, and so, I, it, it was really, it was really, a, you know, it's easy to sort of just blame the reporter, blame the journalist, but really, I think in some of these cases, it was a, it was a systemic failure. Well, now that we've got all that out of the way, I'm going to ask you these stories you didn't cover in your book. But I felt you should have, or for whatever reason, they just kind of fit with what we're going about. And the first one we talked to you about briefly off the air, and that was the whole hubbub about the Large Hedron Collider firing up and opening up a black hole, which will in turn swallow the Earth. <laughs> yeah, I, I, as I recall, that happened last uh, last July. Yes, yep. yes. Yeah, we all died. You weren't, it was, oh wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I got the Yeah, memo. we did. Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> oh wait, no, that was in May. Oh, then it got October when we were all supposed to be raptured. Oh wait, right, that's yeah, a different oh, story. that's right. That was yeah. Darn there it. was the there was the Harold Camping rapture in May, and then there was the world ending. Okay, you're right. You're right. I'm right, sorry. Right, right. Harold Camping. That's the same as CERN, right? <laughs> <laughs> he works there. Yeah, there was that one, and there was another one which you brought up Boston and made me remember this one. And there was a big media created panic, which I I, I remember. It was really funny at the time. You neither one of you guys were might remember it, but there was this big hubbub about um somebody had taken light brights and put an Aquatine Hunger Force characters on them. Oh and yeah, put them I, all I, over Boston, yeah, underneath overpasses with lights on them. And no, people, I didn't hear any. And this oh, was in yeah. this was in Massachusetts. Yeah, Ben, do you know the story? Do you want to tell her? I, I know, I, I do know the story you're talking about, but, but you probably know better than I do. So why don't oh you tell God, the story? Oh my God, that's like that's like an hour drive for me, and I never heard of it. Yeah, what happened was is uh, they were getting ready to start another season of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So they have these two little Martian characters, or Moonanites, and they had a, they take light brights and they put these two characters on light brights and they put them underneath overpasses. <laughs> and they had they had batteries hooked up to them so they would light up, and they had the, one of the characters flipping you off. And they just put them all over the city. Well, this, um, you know, in the, in the post 9-11, everybody is a terrorist age, they flipped out and called in bomb squads on these things. <laughs> And thought that these might actually be bombs. And it turned into a big, huge ordeal. And it turned out that they were just light brights. And someone had put them there as a promo stunt. I, I'm not entirely sure if they ever found out who, who it was. But they did. And they, they lost their jobs. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, as, as I recall, it was actually subcontracted out to, I mean, it was one of those sort of finger-pointing things where everybody admitted this was a bad idea. Of course, after they're caught. You know, before they're caught, <laughs> that's a brilliant idea. That's Great marketing after they're caught. We knew nothing about it. We're going to talk to people. But the the panic over it was crazy. You know, people thought that these were bombs. That it was just a light bright with a picture on it. 
right. they were just all over the city and people went berserk and they called the bomb squads in and everything. Wow. And what I really liked is the follow-up that the guys that created Aqua Teen Hunger Force did. They held a press conference almost immediately afterwards. So all this media shows up and they come out to the microphone and they would only answer questions about hairstyles. They refused to answer <laughs> questions about anything to do with the light brights. And the media just got all, you know, ticked off and was all huffy and they all stomped off and a few people rolled with it and stuff, but they, right. you know, they, they made a big ordeal about it, which in turn made it even more of a fiasco. It was just a publicity stunt for a TV cartoon show, but the discovery of nine suspicious electronic devices triggered a giant scare across the city of Boston today. Eyewitness News reporter Rob Hayes is live in Burbank to tell us what those devices turned out to be. Rob? Well, Michelle, the folks here at Cartoon Network, or more specifically Turner Broadcasting, which owns Cartoon Network, they have a lot of explaining to do. What was supposed to be a marketing stunt is now being blamed for that terrorist scare in Boston. At least nine devices were found planted throughout the city in Boston in sensitive areas. Authorities say they look like circuit boards with wires hanging from them. The first one was spotted in a subway station under the 93 freeway, forcing a shutdown of the station and the interstate. Others were found at the Boston University Bridge, the Tufts New England Medical Center, and other spots around the city. Bomb squad members were rushed to the scenes and eventually determined those devices were fake. Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick clearly upset in a news conference, saying it's a hoax and it's not funny. Now, Turner Broadcasting today released this statement. The packages in question are magnetic lights that pose no danger. We regret that they were mistakenly thought to pose any danger. Now, this is what the devices look like. Electronic circuit boards with battery-operated flashing lights. Turner says they're a part of a third-party advertising campaign from a New York ad agency. They were supposed to promote a late-night cartoon called Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It airs on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim lineup, and a feature-length film is uh, due out in March based on that cartoon. Now, Turner says similar devices have been in place and planted in nine other major cities all across the United States, but the Department of Homeland Security says it has no credible reports of any of those packages being spotted in any major cities outside of Boston. Hi, I'm a skeptic. And I'm Bigfoot. Uh... Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not. You shut up, y'all. I'm Bigfoot, and I'm running wild all over the U.S. of A. Well, you're not very well documented. Says you. I left tracks and possum innards all over the place. Well, my name's Blake Smith, and along with my co-hosts, Benjamin Radford and Dr. Karen Stolzno, we take a skeptical look at the evidence for all kinds of monsters on our show, Monster Talk. Other monsters? Like who? Well, our show's pretty new, but we plan to take a look at lake monsters, sea monsters, Mothman, the Chupacabra, the Yeti, Orang Pendak, ghosts, ghouls, goblins, zombies, demons, and we might even check out the monster that lurks under your bed or in your closet. Hey, you didn't say my name in that list. Honestly, we've already done two episodes on Bigfoot, but the topic does keep coming up. Hey, I know where there's a big old monster. Where? In my pants. Don't go there. Instead, go to monstertalk.org or look up Monster Talk on your favorite podcast aggregator. You mean iTunes. Shut up, Bigfoot. Are you ready to be a part of the new revolution in conspiracy talk radio? 
Then tune in to the Extreme Society Show every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on the EXS Radio Network. Hi, my name is Sater, and I have a podcast called Transmissions from the Bunker. I talk about nonsense. No, Sater, we talk about a lot of things that aren't nonsense. Oh. Like politics. And bourbon. And religion. And grammar. And the news. We talk about the news. And f***ing c***ses. And video games. Uh. And music. And audio nerdisms. So if any of that interests you, tune in live Sunday night at 9 Eastern or find us at the-bunker.net. Or don't. Whatever. If you've listened to our Razor Sharp music podcast, Behind Closed Doors, then you'll know that the advert for it is going to be pretty special. Well, this is the advert. Listen to Behind Closed Doors. It's a music podcast featuring some of Great Britain's leading podcast talent. And Kim Monaghan. Thanks, Kim. Go to sittingdown.co.uk and subscribe to Behind Closed Doors. It's really very good. I got one for you, Ben. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, um, probably back in the early 80s there was a scare now i grew up a jehovah's witness and we didn't we didn't have halloween Mm -hmm. but there was a scare and it it went around and then it came back around and it went around again and then a couple of years later it showed up again and it was the um lickable or water-based tattoos had lsd Mm -hmm. in them Mm -hmm. and that went that went viral he's grinning he knows about it. (laughs) nobody's business i mean we couldn't it was bad enough we didn't have Halloween. Now we didn't even have tattoos. Right. And that was some good stuff, too, let me tell you. Let <laughs> <laughs> I me mean, Whatever rumors surprised. you heard, it was solid stuff, man. I congratulate whoever That's mixed awesome. that batch up. <laughs> they went as far as to name the different acids. I mean, they were micro dot and strawberry field. And, I mean, they went right. full bore like on A Mickey thing. Mouse. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I know this story. And I remember that. And one of the, that's one of the things that always fascinates me about this this sort of thing is is when you have an, have an intersection between between the, the sort of moral panic uh, scare, uh, sort of in sometimes in some cases sort of scare of the week thing, and kids. This is sort of a running theme. You, you look at the, the the phantom clown panic. You look at the Pokemon case. You look at the 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 a lot of the exaggerated fears over. Uh, sex offenders and predator panics, and there's there's all these different things, and all even for that matter, you've got uh, you know stories of, uh, of you know what are what are all these cartoons doing to these kids, and you know the the impact of, of advertising and things. So there's this whole sort of cultural concern and the cultural notion of like the kids are kids are being threatened by by the latest technology. Right. Kids are being threatened by, in this case, drugs. Like, oh my God, you, you have something that's innocent. You have some innocent toy that is being basically, uh, you know, being co-opted into a, a drug thing. You know, and you're like, oh my God, you know, d- could this, could this, you know, this, this, you know, scratch-on tattoo actually be, you know, giving your kids LSD? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was messed up. I remember it so. I mean, vividly. I remember my parents sitting me down with my little brother. If anybody tries to give you a tattoo, and at the time I had already been already started drinking and stuff, so I'm like, I'm waiting for these tattoos to show up, mm-hmm. and there's nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, hey, come on, let's see the tattoos, man. Let's go here. <laughs> but but no, I mean, again, that that's I was just as I was just saying, that's one of the things I find interesting is when you have this sort of intersection between you know protect the children 
And then, you know, is, is something they're using every day, could that be something dangerous? Um, right. I remember just last year, in fact, there was this there was this concern of a Barbie that had a camera in it. I have one. My wife had me go on the Internet to make sure it doesn't download pictures. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I'll, I'll look just to keep you quiet. Fine. Well, right, and it, it is just, and, and it's a perfect example because again, you have a Barbie, which is your the prototypical kids toy, but then is this being used by pedophiles? Yeah, no, right. it's not actually. <laughs> but 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 oh my God, isn't it a great story if it were? Well, they were saying that about the new Xbox 360 too, with the camera system on the top yeah, of the it. Connects, the, yeah, yeah, the connects. They were saying that about the Xbox too with that. Well, they I just came that. up with one about the Samsung TV that has the uh, the camera in it. It's an interactive television set, and they're saying, oh, the government's turning on the camera so they can keep an eye on you, and, and I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I just yeah, read it last I week. I didn't know about that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? I got nothing to hide. You want to see my bits? Go ahead. <laughs> Knock yourself out, man. Uh, well, all right. We've had you on for a while now, so uh, we'll let you go. The book is called The Martians Have Landed, A History of Media-Driven Panics and Hoaxes. And everything we've talked about tonight is just a small chunk of what's in this book. We could probably have you on here for at least another couple of hours talking about stuff in here. Um, yeah, well, I always love talking to you guys. It's, uh, well, it's we're going to have you back soon, believe me. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm assuming it's available on Amazon and all the f- usual places you would go to buy books. Yeah, it's available at Amazon, uh, you know, Barnes Noble, uh, local. I always, I always ask people to support uh, local independent bookstores if they can, because there's vanishing few of them. But, um, but yeah, you know, the big stores is fine. You can also find more about it at my website, which is benjaminradford.com. And um, yeah, check it out. And uh, I've got another book coming out later this year, so you know, oh, yeah? find me here, there, and everywhere. The next book is, uh, I think the title is going to be uh, Mysterious New Mexico, and it's basically uh, a dozen investigations that I've done here in here in my home state of New Mexico. Everything from so we'll ghosts be having you to back monsters. On. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. God, we're gonna have them on twice next year at this it's rate. It's awesome. It's awesome. Because <laughs> well, we're gonna we're do gonna a show be on dead in December, aren't we? Yes, yeah, true, true. Well, we're going to do a show about Urban Legends, so I'm going to snag you back to have you back on for Urban Legends. But, oh, I love Urban Legends. I could talk about them all day. It'd be fun. Uh, I want you to awesome. talk about your podcast and give your uh, podcast a shout out, because anybody that's out there, we play the ads for your show on our show, of course. So I appreciate that. Talk about your show. Give them a shout out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Monster Talk. I'm co-host along with uh, Dr. Karen Stolzno and Blake Smith of Monster Talk. And we uh, have a, a, I don't know if it's, I, I can't really say it's monthly or bi-weekly, but it's, uh, you know, every, every few weeks we uh, manage to crank out an episode and Blake Smith that's does it. A fantastic job, and we sort of do the, uh, the the show is basically about the intersection between science and monsters and skepticism, and uh, so we try and figure out you know what you know what is the science behind these things, whether it's hybrids or werewolves or zombies and ninjas, for example. That was uh, the best Capras. episode I think you guys have ever done. Was the ninja I still episode. think the Cthulhu one was the best one. Ah, uh, see, there you go. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, oh, did you listen to the latest one? The latest one was epic win all the way. Did you listen to it? He puts the show on. Of course he does. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you, Ro. <laughs> no, not yet. I haven't had the chance. Oh, it was well, freaking what, awesome. Which one did it was the, the Blake put out? Was it that one? I, the, I sometimes uh, forget the order. The Loop Guru one was nice, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. There there's you go. there's so many good. of them. I that swear was good. No, it was the latest one. Hold on a second. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be called out on this one. <laughs> I wasn't trying to call you out on that. It was, I, I, I honestly no don't Fury. remember. I honestly Hell don't no remember. Fury. It was with Dr. Atlantis. It was um, about the black dog. Oh, yes, 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 yes. awesome. I had did a my, – my senior thesis was on the black dog or the black shook because oh. there's a black dog legend here in Connecticut. 
mm-hmm. in the next town over. So I did my senior thesis on that. The guy, the kids who read it loved it. The teacher says, this is crap. I got a C plus on it. I could have <laughs> strangled her. I would have given you at least a B plus. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks for coming on the show. And we'll be talking to you again real soon. Awesome. Keep up the good job, guys. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Ben. And that was Mr. Ben Radford. Yeah, Ben's a hoot. Ben's hysterical. He's awesome. Definitely not stingy with information. Definitely not somebody who is uh, unwilling to go into talking about stuff. He's he's so easy to talk to, and he's funny. I mean, he can go off on a tangent and and get really stupid, but he can get himself right back into it just as quickly as he went back off topic. And the thing is, is I found with a lot of people that are of of his um, caliber. Skeptics? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'll come right out and say it. it. the, the stereotype of the skeptic that you hear everybody poo-poo, I have yet to run into one. I have yet to run into one. A real, like, someone that is like, oh, well, nothing exists. Everybody I've run into is just like Ben. They're like, well, this is my view, and uh, here you go. And they're hilarious. They have the best senses of humor. I mean, you got Brian Brushwood, who's another um, member of the skeptic community, who's a, he's a freaking comedian and a magician on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just Ben's awesome. Well, they do a great yeah. show over there too. They've got Monster Talk, and they, you know, it's, I, yeah. I love listening to them. Yeah, they're absolutely. they're all great. You know, yep. eventually we're gonna get Karen on the show at some point. I know. We've been trying to get I her keep, on here forever. Oh, I feel terrible. I I send her an email, and I'm like, we're gonna get back to you. And then, and then like a never couple do. of months go by with everything that's blown up around us, and like, oh, I know. I just went through that with Jason Offit today. Jason oh. Offit, and there's a couple other people that. Uh, Joseph Matheny is another person that we've been going round and around with trying know, to nail right? down time to get him on the show. But that was Ben. Um, I do really recommend checking out his book. Again, these aren't these aren't books that people contact us and say, hey, we want to be on your show. These are people that we've gone out and hunted them down and said, hey, we like what you're saying. We want to have you on the show. You know, we want we want you to come on and talk about what you're doing. Because a lot of shows, they'll send books out like Coast to Coast. They get books and people barraging them for interviews all the time. Yeah, Whereas right. we go out and we find people and we say, hey, we want you to come on here because we think you have a pertinent message. And Ben's always great about coming on. Ben's always forthcoming, very generous with his time. You know, at one point I say, hey, can we have you on for a little longer? And he's like, sure, roll with it. And he had literally just walked in the door from flying in from Los Angeles. Yeah, he was in there for five minutes and he got on the phone with us. Walked in, threw some clothes in the washing machine and sat down and said, let's roll. And I'm like, you want to take a break for a little bit? He's like, nope, I'm good. So again, thanks, Ben. It was great having you on the show. I think that's about everything I could think to cover right now. So I guess uh, we'll see you guys in a we'll see you guys in a week or so. This is Rojan from the D. Peace out. And this is Lobo from Connecticut. And uh, hold on a second. Say it. It. That's Mrs. <laughs> Lobo. So it doesn't all suck here. <laughs> Peace out, folks. Peace.